You're listening to Power in Practice, practical talk for living in a structured lifestyle. Welcome to another episode of Power in Practice. We're going to jump right into the conversation that Flag, Soul Hunter, and Daddy David were having, and then we're going to uh, get into a feedback episode where they're going to answer questions that were sent in by listeners of the show. Remember, you're always welcome to send in questions, comments, or suggestions for our future shows, and the guys love hearing from you. But I'll give her this. She, you know... Beating it against that rock honed my definitions, my working definitions of being able to describe what submissives are to like a razor light point. Never to win an argument with her, it's just someone would always come on the list and go, you know, what's a submissive? And I'd have to get my point across before she could talk, you know? So, whether it's still accurate or not, I don't really know. I haven't revisited it in a while, but... I eventually brought it down to a submissive as anyone who's who most commonly finds themselves in or is most fulfilled by relationships where they don't have the power. You know, when you're using submissive as a personality descriptor, are you a dominate? Dominate. I are dominate. I are dominate. You are made of ham. Blarn. So yeah, the. Uh, the three letters you forwarded were kind of interesting. All right, so power and practice, uh, reader, viewer, listener, Q and A. Um, question one: To whom it may concern, that would my, be me. Yeah, that would be you. <laughs> my question is a general one that anyone can answer. I'm curious as to the favorite scenes you guys have done or would like to do. For example, one that I am currently planning is an interrogation scene. However, I am also curious as to how often you do scenes, and that if they did not happen often on a consistent basis, would this affect the MS or DS relationship? Actually, that kind of ties into that thread about, there was a thread about, um, do regular scenes prevent bad behavior or acting out was was the question on the thread. Which oh, bribery. Was, yeah, the, the, kind of the wrong way to put it, but yeah. But the person who asked the question actually came back later and was like, no, you know, I don't tolerate bad behavior, we're just talking more about attitude. It was a clarification for... And then it kind of turned into a question about reinforcement, mm-hmm. reinforcement of framing. Yeah, and, and points to him for not being lazy. Because I am. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to save my... Uh, seeing as I've already kind of thought through and posted answers, I'm going to keep my commentary till after you guys have spoken. Okay. So... Favorite scene? I don't sing often, and I don't sing as often as I would like. Um, and definitely skip ahead. I think that part about what is it not seeing right if if scenes don't happen with some regularity, do you find that that has a negative effect on the dynamic? Yeah, it can because I think what's actually happening happening is that it's not about having scenes. It's about giving attention. And if you're not yeah. feeding that person who's hungry for attention, a frustration builds up, and if that's not addressed somehow... It's a good way of looking at it. The question isn't, why are you not seeing? The question is, why are you not seeing? Right. <clears throat> Which translates to, why aren't you paying enough attention to me anymore? Mm-hmm. And um, 
that's that's a falling snowball that that needs to be managed quickly in some way or another whether that means seeing more often or however you lay down the law it, it does need to get adjusted in some form as a fairly extreme example of the phenomena right I, I probably have had maybe I'll average this is probably high but I might average one event that counts as a scene about every eight months for about the last seven years. That's pretty high. Right? So that's five or six scenes. That's like, you know, whatever. Two, my average five a year, years. you know? For us lazy bastards, yeah. that's pretty fucking high. Um, and that's being fairly generous on the definition of scene, okay. right? I do happen to think, though the girls will probably dispute it, I think I give a fairly high level of attention. But what I'm finding now is, while certainly neither of my girls would go so far as to, or they certainly know better than to think that acting out or acting up is going to get what they want, but much more in a working with me way, what I'm finding is that it may be that scening is the most efficient way to do some of the framing head work and and alterations I want to do. That's kind of cool, because you've been looking for a way back into back it. In. That's good. And and that that might just be... The other thing is, from a purely personal point of view, if I could do it again, I would probably force myself to see more often, because I'm finding my innate risk avoidance, emotional risk avoidance, is in full force. You know, the idea of starting a scene with a deliberate goal... And being in that position again after not doing it often mm-hmm. is incredibly intimidating. And I wouldn't let it lie that way that That long. is probably one of the reasons I said, fuck it, and broke my own rule and seemed to test fest with someone I didn't know. Because right there I was feeling exactly that. And once I, I, I got a good look at the fact of, oh, I'm afraid? Oh, fuck that. And... Yeah, and one of the things I'm I'm learning from, you know, again, you know, from from reading the game, from from seeing some of the other communities we're touching on, things that I would have considered natural avoidances do in fact fall to deliberate action. You know, I do it at the dojo constantly, and and I, I on any given night because we got 15 guys, they have different styles, different sizes. On any given night when I walk in, there's someone I don't want any part of. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's not that they're mean guys. They're great guys. I'm not in the mood to fight a big guy or that guy's fast and I'm feeling slow. And when asked, and my rank generally gives me the opportunity to pick who I want to fight, I'm always picking the guy I want least. Mm. Deliberately. Utterly. Because if I avoid someone for three or four weeks... I start wondering whether I can fight them. Right. And fuck that noise. That's That happened to me uh, when the animal and I were in our, our final throes of, of disintegration. Um, we had... Uh, our scenes had pretty much narrowed down to hypnotism. The signal-to-noise ratio had gotten so high that I wasn't getting through. And the moment I stopped getting through, I stopped trying. Because I was afraid that every failure would reinforce failure. Right. So I didn't do it, which also did not help. It's just part of a a fairly horrible downward spiral. Um, So 
in general, I think we all agree that for any number of reasons, I was going to read my answer out, but there's, there's no need. Um, frequent scening, I think that the, the real key here is, is what David touched on, is that the frequency of your scening with a given person is a symptom of your relationship with that person, not a cause. If it's a cause, you've got a very, very surface play relationship, and play shouldn't be a problem. The moment you guys get bored with each other, you'll wander off and find somebody else to beat on. Um, but if you're in a relationship of emotional worth, everybody plays like mad when they start. You know, it's it's like fucking when you first you know when you first get together as a couple, and then it slows down as you get used to each other, and as the burdens of the world start getting heavier. And but if you let it stop, it's because something else is wrong. Some of its interpretation, I I absolutely. I spent a fair amount of time making sure I wasn't seeing for the wrong reasons, and it was like I'm not going to see it unless I feel like seeing. I don't. As soon as it feels like work, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. What I was misinterpreting was there's right work and there's wrong work. There's work for my reasons, and there's work because I have a gun to my head. Right. One of those things is wrong, but I threw baby with the other shit baby. out with the thing that. You know, I cut off a, a tool of my own, not deliberately to spite anyone, just because when when time started to get tight and whatever, and I fell off the, the steaming thing, and I would go, it's been a while, I probably should. My first response was, well, that's the wrong reason. And yeah, I would resentment. Just, I just didn't, no one was doing it to me. Mm-hmm. I just, I was doing it to myself for all the wrong, you know. If uh, the the first part of the question is, do you have a favorite scene? Yeah, did you have a favorite scene that you? Is there one that you want to do or one that you've done? I'll assume because he encapsulates the idea of I'm doing an interrogation scene in like five words. I think detail is probably not the critical uh, factor here. I'll go first. If there's one I want to do that I haven't done yet, I would say I definitely want to do something with um, enclosure and water. Yeah, you've talked a lot about that. Water tank, cage off of a diving board, you know, whatever. Pick one. I want to do a big water scene. They did one at camp. Um, cargo net dropped from a scaffold into the pool. The scaffold was built into in the pool. And it just had a, you know, winch that, that had that, I don't know, you hit it and it releases and the whole right, thing right. drops. And they were putting two people in, in the net and chaining them. And drawing the net up over them, and then winching it up, and dropping them into the water, and holding them down for a little bit. So you scream, you let out all your air, and now you got nothing. Yeah, nice. it was fun. Yeah, and that's—I definitely want to do some variation on that. You know, if I have a favorite scene, I because I don't at this point the trappings of a scene have become so peripheral and unimportant to me. Um. It's much like the bag I used to carry. I used to carry the 500-pound bag of cow with every way, shape, and form of leather for anything that might cross my mind. And now it's a pair of gloves, something sharp, and boots. You know, that's it. That's it's all simplified because what I want isn't the scene. What I want is to get my hands bloody in someone's head. Right. And I can do that by whispering to them. But. If I had to give a scene, it would be hypnofetish. Right. Because that's what it is. It's, that's the fastest, most effective way to get my hands deep inside somebody's So if, if we're going to 
if we're going to go a little specific with that, is there a, a suggestion that you either had as a favorite or... Well, a lot of people do hypnofetish and like dealing with people when they're under. I find dealing with people when they're under just a step. What I like is post-hypnotic suggestion. What I like is being able to cause reactions in their waking state and have them do things that are involuntary. You know, have their body or their perceptions do things that they can't control. You know, whether it's come on command or freeze or um, installing a fetish for bootlicking that obliterates all other wants, needs, and, you know, whatever it is, it's just a, plan, a chance to play God. Right. The shape is almost irrelevant, but it'll tend to go with the things I like most. So, lots of boots, um, lots of fear, right, and lots of my getting way the fuck in there and setting up shop. Yeah, I've been giving a lot of thought into hypnofetish and, and doing some research, and I, I feel like I'm still in the, the data gathering stage, and I was struggling with what I would do with a tool like that. And it's starting to get a little bit clearer. The fog is thinning a little bit. And one of the things I'd like to do, since I don't really play with blood, I definitely don't want to deal with sterile fields and, and gauze and disposal of, of blood-soaked cloth afterwards. <clears throat> what I'd like to do is, is uh, work hypnotic suggestions into a cutting scene where there is an actual cutting going on, but they feel like they're being cut. That's how I feel about gunplay. I don't know anything about guns. I'm smart enough to know that I don't know anything about guns. But when I've put a suggestion that this is a gun, that fear is genuine. You know, and this also allows me to end a scene by putting the gun barrel in someone's mouth and dropping the hammer, which is something you don't ordinarily get to do because then they fall over and literally think they're dead for a few seconds before Throw they wake up. Throw this watermelon in the tub. Yes, that's it. White rabbit. This is an amazing note. Throws this radio in the tub. Right. And it's a grapefruit. But yeah, so there's, it's a wonderful substitution for things that you don't want to or can't do. Um, it's a wonderful substitution for things you don't have access to. And when I was feeling particularly obnoxious, um, I once made my animal a quadruple amputee for a while and kept stepping over her and kicking her on the floor. And as far as she was concerned, there was nothing she could do about it. <laughs> That's cool. I've had one dark fantasy that keeps popping up, and I forget it as much as I remember it. <clears throat> it involves... Um, either beating somebody or scaring somebody to the point where they void their bladder. To me, that it, it's, it's like proof of the work you've put into it. It's like, you know, you make somebody come, you see them come, you know they've come, you've got proof. Well, wow, I've always settled for tears, but you, <clears> you're <throat> the man. I want to make them pee themselves and just, uh, that, that, would, that would be my That's goal. Cool. Try stalking. It's yeah. <laughs> supplies. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so yeah, I think uh, we covered right. that one. Question number two. Hey, what I really wanted to know is what made you get into this lifestyle? Why did you get into it? What is it about it that you like so much? Um, again, I think we don't have to go uh, super super deep. I'm sure there are deeper psychological reasons. But for the most part, 
I really like it when women do what I tell them. So it never occurred to me to not be in the lifestyle. Like, oh, okay, I, there's a separate story for how I got in the community, but I yeah. was never not having power relationships, like ever. So I can't, I can't point at it and go, I saw this picture in a magazine and thought that would be cool. Or I, as, as cliche as it sounds, this wasn't a choice. It's just kind of is who you are. The only real choice was whether or not you go into public and into a community or not. Yeah. I went into the community to find people that might be like me, uh, that might want me to mess with their heads, and that I could learn from. Primarily to meet people to play with and to learn from. And after a time, just primarily to learn from, because everything else became irrelevant. And the community itself is... Um, is take it or leave it. You know, you are who you are. It wasn't a choice to pick up this lifestyle and adopt it. Um, it just gave me a lot of options I'd never really thought about before. Uh, yeah, so in, in general, I was having, I was in power relationships as long as I was in relationships. I was in the online community you know, from 12 on or 11 when I got a modem. So that wasn't anything I had to make a choice to do. You got online, you ran into them. And then the, the actual live quote-unquote community, I wasn't intending to join. I went with a friend who was going to Tess from out of town, and she wanted to go, and we tagged along. You know, so I wasn't, never made a decision to do, do that either. So I didn't even really know about a scene until relatively recently for me the whole draw was just you know getting my freak on and finding people I could do that with I've been doing that for a really long time and I didn't know that there was an established scene of people who had infinite variations of that um, so I didn't really seek them out as, uh, it was it was very personal it was with partners um, started out early in college and then that whole enlightened man period of, of the late 70s 80s and 90s somebody owes me an apology for that came up and and that kind of thwarted my whole direction for a while so finding out about a scene was was actually about me getting back to um a part of me that i felt was either lost buried or repressed during that I'm okay, you're okay period. And I feel comfortable again. Even though it hasn't really given me that many opportunities to find like-minded people, I have been able to find the few who matter, and I'm grateful for that. Well, I don't think there are that many like-minded people in the scheme of things. I mean, they're out there. It's just the numbers game is, is pretty hard. To... I, uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a supervillain. And then puberty hit, and my interests changed um, and became a little more immediate. And the first relationship I ever had was a DS relationship, just because, just because. And it was uh, organic and very real, and real enough that she, uh, 20 years later called me up to give her away so she can get married. I mean, it's it's a fundamental aspect of my personality. I, I tried to give it up briefly, uh, which was stupid and ill-fated for all involved. 
and then I found a partner who was the right person at the right time to give me the courage to go out and actually look into the public scene that I'd known about for a long, long time, but had been too intimidated to, uh, to try and go to. I knew for one thing that there was no way I was going as a single guy. Because I basically imagined it as 10,000 single guys and like five girls. Yeah. And I was not going to be one of 10,000. So that was the first thing I did right. But really, even if there wasn't a scene, I'd still be running my relationships more or less the way I do. And so the as much as I think it's, I guess, kind of both an impossible question and an easy question. So what is it you like about it? And And it's... You know, my initial answer was I like it when women do what I tell them, and that's partially true. But if I want to go deeper than that, um, there's definitely an ego answer, which goes, I absolutely and utterly believe I'm the most qualified person to make all the decisions in my world, you know. And this structure allows me to do that and not live alone. I get to be the final authority and not have to be a hermit to do that. So there's that aspect. And then efficiency. I just, I have goals that I can't, you know, companies can't get over a certain size without employees. You know, you can't make more than X number of cabinets unless people are helping. And I just can't do what I want to do. I would have to make a lot of money and hire people or find people that want to give me that labor, you know? So just, I mean, there are so many places where it's the right answer for the problem. And I still, at my core, I think it's just that I like it when women do what I told them. What would be your favorite? Uh... So many answers that address it. it it's, it's exactly right. Um, I don't know if I could pinpoint it to any one thing because there, there are a lot of different itches that are getting scratched by, by this huge umbrella. Flag puts it has been known to say that he hates to lose. <laughs> it, it, it's true. I do, in fact. For me, my variation on that is I hate to be wrong, or rather, I love being right. <laughs> <laughs> and in my world, I can do that with a fairly good ratio of consistency. Um, and to be able to, to, to do that, and I'm doing it by myself, I'm not really that impressed. Well, all right, I'm a little impressed, but it's more impressive if someone else is getting impressed by it. So I can <laughs> I can really wield that. I can I can use that. I can it's it's the big, you know, Wizard of Oz thing or or maybe it's just Mr. Wizard. I I can't tell which at, at some point, but there is a lot of that that gives me a lot of satisfaction. It's fun. I don't see myself necessarily as tyrannical, but um, but keep working at it. I, I, I'm, I'm polishing that stone, <laughs> that knob. And uh, <laughs> every time I try to find out where the origin is, I can always seem to find an earlier occurrence. And I know I spoke with you guys once before about being a little kid and knowing this little girl who had this ridiculous crush on me and followed me around, and I could make her cry and stop crying like picking a needle up off of a phonograph record. And it was so much fun to do. It was just like, Wah! and she'd stop. And I'd do it again, Wah! and she'd stop. And I was like, wow, this is freaking amazing. 
Uh, and I think I've been trying to get to that point ever since. It's just uh, endlessly <laughs> entertaining for me. <laughs> I think in, in, another variation of it is I've always hated being at the mercy of the performance of others. You know, I the few times I was forced to play sports, the, the sports I picked for myself were always self-competitive. You know, swimming, never relay. Riflery, not team. You know, martial if, arts. Martial arts. Um, obviously, to a large extent, programming is that way. But competitive stuff, you know, football, quarterback. Not good at it, but that's, it's the only position on that team I can imagine playing. You know, baseball, pitcher, had to be. You know, not because I thought I was the best, just... It's personal best. It's the best that you can do if, at that point if there's without a, interference. If there's a guy who gets the credit for the win or loss on his card, then that's the guy. You know, they say pitchers, you know, they'll, they'll talk about a pitcher's win-loss ratio. They don't do that for the right outfield guy. You know, he didn't come in and save the game. He didn't get pulled because the game wasn't going well. Is it glory, credit, or control? Control. I, I, no, I don't care about the being the guy who won, necessarily. My ego takes care of that. What I don't want to be at is at the mercy of the fuck nugget who lost. You know, soccer, goaltender. You know, where's the maximum control of that game? You know, you all fuck it up. I get, I'm the last guy who has a shot to save it. But you're still attached to a team of losers and they're dragging you. Yeah, I mean, and I was never good at those sports. <laughs> and you know, still but, but if I, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, team of my own choosing, though. That makes all the difference, apparently. But yeah, so I mean, it's, there's a lot to of that. You know, I, I definitely am happier when the buck stops there. Same here. Even my profession, you know, it's just, it's about personal excellence that isn't hinged on the the abilities or inabilities of others who can slow down that process for me. So it's like, I need people to get out of my way to let me do my thing and not have to wait in line so that I can finally get up to bat and see if I could save this, this sinking game or... Go ahead. It's funny, it's one of the few places I... I, I Part from you guys in that respect. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time navel-gazing about it, especially because I spent a lot of time being very afraid of what I wanted. So I thought it was very, very important for me to understand how I turned into whatever it was I was afraid I had turned into. I came from a very, very twisted, controlled environment. A just... I came from a very unhealthy environment, and from my earliest memories, my fantasies were about controlling my environment in response to the fact that I had none. Well into early adolescence, just didn't know, I knew what I wanted, but had developed none of the tools to get it, and none of the tools necessary to... I was 23 before I realized I didn't have to go listen to my father be crazy. And it took someone else to point it out to me. You know, I, I was just in a groove. I lived this way. 
And in every case, it took somebody else meeting you, uh, meeting Ken, because I'm gesturing at him and none of you can see this, is what shook me out of the idea that I had to put up with the reindeer games of the of the BDSM community. I've I've always been shaken out of ruts by meeting other people. And uh, it was Tank who made me aware that I didn't actually have to put up with my father. I took somebody else to go, why don't you just stop talking to him? Right. And I didn't talk to him for 15 years. And it worked really well, you know? That's when I started getting healthy and started getting my shit together. So for me, it's always been about a search of control, a search for control over my environment, but not out of, you know, when team sports, for example, came up, I would be happy to be the guy as far out in the outfield as possible because I didn't want any part of it anyway. Right. You know, I was no good at it. I didn't want to be there. So fuck this. I never had an urge to be accountable or responsible Take, let me interrupt for myself or anything else. Take it, take it out of team sports for a minute, mm-hmm. um, because since you didn't care at all, it's a non-issue, right? Minimum effort mm-hmm. possible. Take, um, take a graphic novel. You're a talented artist. You're a talented writer. Given the opportunity to simply draw for a living, isn't there part of you that would constantly want? Don't you, you want the book, right? I mean, you want to write it, you well, want to draw I'd it. I'd say wanna... that now, not then. All I wanted then was to be left alone. Oh, okay. I needed out external forces to crack me out of it because my only answer to being in an environment that was hostile and completely out of my control was to isolate myself. And that's the only tool I knew. So it took a long time and a lot of people to, you know, get me a lot less less dysfunctional. And when I came out, I came out big. Once I realized I do have the tools necessary to influence my environment. Right. It started with lying. That was the first thing I found out I was good at. I was a horrific, prolific liar. I was also very skilled. I was very good at it. I was very manipulative. So manipulative, lying, sneaky, underhanded. Those were the things I found controlled my environment. Those were the things I was best at. Those were the things I thought pretty much defined my value as a person, which wasn't much. But if I was going to be a scumbag, I was going to be the best and most dangerous scumbag you could ever meet. And that was how I started. And it took a long time for me to shed the idea and go, I don't have to be a scumbag to control my environment. Would you characterize your would you characterize your concept of control as and I, I sort of know the answer I would pick if somebody asked me about you. Would you characterize your style of control as influence or combative? Oh influence. Influence. Because absolutely. that's that's kind of what I hear. Now now I, I, I see you using Those are the tools that grew first. I had to grow into conflict. Yeah. I mean I, I see you using your your powers to both create things you do want and avoid things you don't want. But I I can imagine, as you actually said, that I find that the influence styles generally come from people who started out avoiding things they didn't want. I am a classic conflict avoider. And it's only growing into the scene and growing into 
any definite definition as a person and a dominant that allowed me to grow into the idea that confrontation, directness, honesty, integrity, these are good things, not handicaps. I was, I, I fortunately, you know, I was blessed with, as, as that phrase may be used, but I, I never went through a period where I thought the avoidance of unfortunate things was going to be much of a problem. Like, I didn't have that many big unfortunate things to overcome. So I sort of took that as a given, that really bad... And now I learned it later, you know, and, and, and I got a very clear view of it. But, you know, my style's all about... The, the urge for control is all about creating shit I don't see other people creating, not avoiding stuff. I take mm-hmm. avoidance as, as a given. I've got um, avoidance as a bad habit at this point. It's something that I still have to work on shedding. It's where my problems in my DS relationships come up. When the conflict comes, when the rubber hits the road, I'm constantly writing about how you have to deal with things. I'm not writing about it because I've always been a natural at dealing with things, I'm writing about it because I learned the hard way you have to deal with it or you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I can see that. I've got a, a kind of teetotalers. Teetotalers used to be, during the 20s, they were renowned for being vehement, praised anti-liquor protesters. They were the ones who felt it was justified to break into a warehouse under suspicion that someone might be smuggling liquor and smash everything there on the off chance there was a bottle. Right. That's how I feel about integrity and honesty and a lot of happy little catchphrases now. Um, I feel about honest, I value honesty the way only a reformed liar will ever value honesty. Right. This is something I had to attain. This is something precious. This is not something that came naturally to me. One of the, the sort of little tests I use in my head. You know, and and you're always evaluating people for, at least I'm always evaluating people on the subdom alpha dog scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that took me a little while to place when I first met you was you're clearly dominant and thus in my world you wind up being an alpha. But I don't imagine you as the lead lion in the pack chart. You know, that's it's a whole strong beta. So the uh, so the scenario that I play out in my head when animal analogs fail me is deserted islands. We've all seen the movie, you know. Ten people wind up on a beach in a life raft, and somebody, usually some asshole football player, goes, you know, you go get coconuts, you build the thing, you do whatever. I'm probably that dick. Even I'm if the it's, one the football player asks for advice. Right. After everyone has gone off and he forgot something, I can absolutely see you coming up and going, you know, fresh water is probably crucial here. And just, you wouldn't be the guy. When somebody sneaks in to take over and kill someone at night, you're not the throat they cut. But you have, you know, it's things a kind of go the way you want it to go. They, it's one of the reasons that I adapted and, and encouraged the estate recipe so strongly. You were the only two people I had met in this scene up to that point, and the only other one is in the room with us now, who is capable of putting the ego aside and letting somebody else run the show and then putting the hat back on when it's his time. Right. You know, it's not critical 
there is nothing more embarrassing than watching a dominant of either gender who can't cut it the fuck out when it's more productive to do so. Right. And I got a lot of experience handling that and juggling that running the test board. Um, the reason the estate worked, in my opinion, is because each of us recognized the other one's strengths and were able to back off and give them their due. And that's the most comfortable, perfect environment for me. It lets me get up, stand up, be pretty, do my fucking thing, and then sit down and back my friends. Because I can be pretty some of the time, but I can back my friends all of the time. I, I had a, a conversation with Kamiko after we met you guys, and you know I'm aimlessly analyzing it. It's a conversation I've I've remembered having often enough that it may not have actually happened, <laughs> but it doesn't matter in the end. And the the phrase I wound up using with her was I was like, and she's just sitting there listening because she doesn't argue with me about it. But I'm going, you know. You know, this guy's a fuck nugget, and this is this, and there isn't one guy there who. And I'm like, flag and tick. Can't place it. And in the end, I wound up classifying you as an immovable object as opposed to an irresistible force. Yeah. That works fine for me. I've never considered myself an irresistible force, but... A lot of things have tried to get rid of me. Yeah. You know, and, and now that you tell me in those terms, that's it. it. You know, there's this core untouchable defense and this shit, you know, you will not do that to me again, which is an entirely different thing than that's I it. will do that to you as I often as I choose. Lose. How do I know I hate to lose? Yes. Yeah. I've had my fucking fill of it. So, do you have anything else for this? Because this actually dovetails nicely. Into actually, I, I want to hit something real quick, which is um, a, con- a conversation that we had early on, and the reason I recognize David as a peer. Um, conversation we had early on, so early in our travels together, that I was sitting in the back seat and Kimmy was in the front. Oh, wow. Okay. So, we're talking maybe the first drive <laughs> anywhere. All right, way, way back. <laughs> And I, honest to God, didn't know if I fit the qualification. You were talking about alphas and doms. And at the time, your views were even more immutable and ornery than they are now. Every reason to believe had I not... Every time I've had to change my views, I've had to change them because I've run into someone who didn't fit the box. I guarantee you, had I not come across the problem of having to fit you in, <laughs> I for to this day would probably still be thinking, you know, intellect equals attack is right. is is alpha, you know. But uh, and I sat there in the back and I blurted something out, which I rarely do. I'm I'm not a unplanned, unthinking speaker, but it was pounding on the inside of my skull, and I said, "What I wanted to was validation from you." What I said is. I'm not sure if I'm a top or a dom. And Kimmy goes, dom, definitely. And all of a sudden I realized it would have meant a lot less coming from you. From you, it could have been charity. Right. From you, you could have been nice. She meant it. It was reflex. Yeah. And and I was like, God. Absolutely. I, all of a sudden, I think I probably rode in the front seat on the way back. I mean, it yeah, just yeah, yeah. It made... So, Kimmy, thank you. It made a critical difference. You registered on my radar 
early because of the way you carried yourself, but it didn't tell me anything. You're you're pretty enigmatic, and you're you're not from the same background. You're not letting off the same energy. What I noticed is you didn't feel any need to swing your dick and see who you could hit, and that's what all the fucking monkeys do. So I noticed you because there's no dick swing when you brought your girl to the estate. I was like, this guy has more balls than the rest of them all put together because they'll all talk about it's either a good idea or a bad idea, but not a single one of them will put his money where his mouth is and take the chance. And that's when I suddenly became very, very interested in that told me what I needed to that completed the picture right there. That's where it was when I said that's that's the confidence None of the rest matters. I don't need the rest of the answers because the confidence is there. Everything else is is window dressing. When I started noticing, when you were pointed out to me, and and you were pointed out to me on multiple occasions because I simply don't hook people. But one of the girls would point you out, and certainly Matthew kind of knew more about you earlier. Um, Sir, who knows everybody, kind of knew that you were in the water, you know. And the thing I noticed when people would point you out is that there's that little queer space. There's that little queer personal space. And some people get that in a crowded room and some people don't get that in a crowded room. You know, and it doesn't always mean Dom. Sometimes it means you smell. Sometimes it means you look like a violent guy on the subway. It's not always dominance. But you but, didn't smell. But, not, <laughs> but certainly not everybody has it. I have not. I have yet to meet a dominant who didn't have it. That's so funny. Raptor pointed that out. Raptor uh, was waiting for me once when we, he and I were going to meet for a beer. Uh, the beer being Raptor's, naturally. And he asked the waiter, I'm waiting for a friend. And the waiter was hitting on him and starts flirting. And what does your friend look like? You know, maybe. And Raptor's description was something like, okay, when you see someone coming and there's about a 10-foot clearance of space around him and people are getting out of their way because they look uncomfortable, that's my friend. <laughs> that's a good one. And, and the second thing that really pegged me was after it became clear that we were going to work with you, uh, work with, with your girl, unexpectedly, and out of nowhere, the next time I, I really got a chance to interact with you after knowing that was a possibility, my reaction immediately after that was to realize we were in deep trouble. <laughs> because we could have done work. Look, I could work on the girls of 99.9% of everybody I'll ever meet, improve them enough that they'll think I'm a fucking god. And send them on their way and never have to break a sweat. True or false, it's my belief, right? They're they're starting from a baseline of expectation and power so low that I feel that, you know, there's there's nowhere to go but up. But after I was conscious of the fact that you were a potential client that way, when we go and we come back and there were a number of conversations going, who baby? <laughs> yeah. We could really fuck this, you know, we could be wrong. We could really, you know, it's one thing to run a corner garage and do flat tires on Mazdas. It's an entirely other thing to go, 
you know, here's my Ferrari and it's making a funny noise. It's a different level of stuff. The assumption was that the basics were there. You know, it was just a vibe I got from me. The assumption was that the end product was going to have to be more valuable than just a little bit of a shine and some white wall polish that, you know, and it's not that we were unprepared. Certainly, you were exactly the kind of person we were, that's exactly the kind of work we wanted. It's what we wanted, but now you got it. But but for that to show up so soon (laughs) is just... Yeah, we could have kept talking shit forever, but... Yeah, and you go, you know, you're like, fuck. There was one other person who fit... I, I, I knew I was actually wrong. There was one other person who fit my, my, my internal registration as dominant that we spent a lot of time with. It wasn't Raptor. I mean, Raptor does, and yeah. undoubtedly, I just don't get to spend enough time with him. Um, was Perfect Jeff. Yeah. Perfect Jeff was my first exposure to demanding. I, I'm not demanding and you are demanding about certain details and the rest can go to hell he was the first guy I'd met who took micromanaging and didn't make it look fussy yeah yeah, yeah. he was a perfectionist god damn it and it was gonna be right and I was like oh I love you <laughs> you just I want to grow up to be you you're just fucking awesome fact that he looked like a Nazi in vinyl pants didn't hurt either, but, uh... Yeah, well, and, uh, the pair of kids he was dragging around didn't hurt. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, and there, again, there's that vibe. He had the vibe, and he once... I, I was meeting uh, him and his girl at an art gallery. We went to go see an, a, a thing of outsider art. That guy who did the endless pages of the, like, 5,000-page children's book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all on a wall. He, could, he exposes me to that. And on my way in, he leans over and says something to his girl. And she giggles. And I can't hear it because I'm heading for the glass doors into the lobby where they're sitting. So as I come in, I kind of look at her and she immediately blurts out, he said, look, honey, death is coming. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go. I'll, I'll insert an, uh, a note here for a future conversation, if it ever comes up again. But um, as I was thinking about it and double-checking what I said to see if it makes any sense and going over it, one of the things I realized was that I can combine two thoughts. One is those people that will take charge. And that's one way I know, or one type of dominant I'll classify The other thing that we've mentioned in this conversation is people who want the buck to stop with them. Mm -hmm. What I had to run into Tatsumi to find was someone who's eminently capable, willing, and determined to take control and absolutely positively does not want the final buck to rest with her. She has no intention of wanting to be the last stop on the train, period. And it's not fear. Mm -hmm. It's just not the way she wants it to be. But so, you know, you throw that same deserted island group of people there, and if we're going to spin that scenario, in absence of someone else doing it, she will, you know, send people off for water and food and leaves. And then long before you got to her, she would go to you as the last guy standing on the beach and go, how does that sound? 
you know, you wouldn't have to find her. Mm -hmm. She wants to find you. Um, And it's quite possible that one of the reasons why her and I wound up butting heads for so long is because she would probably be a slightly more natural fit for an influencer than than an attacker. Mm. You know? And I'll just, I'll let that be. But I, uh, especially because she listens to these podcasts. Hi, honey. Um, no, no discussion of, of those characteristics and how confusing sometimes they can be and how close they can be to, to one or the other and mixed. I don't want it to come off like it's on, always On the other clear. hand, I think in the end, I think she'd prefer an influencer. She needs an attacker. From where I sit, it comes down to, and hi, honey, uh, it comes down to, in the end, you're not moving. And that's, I'm very easy to persuade in terms of empathy. Right, right. You know, there was a lot, I would probably give her a lot more leeway in ways that she secretly didn't want leeway. Right, right. I'd give her a lot of the leeway that she wants. I'd just probably give too much leeway. I think that influencers, because she's an influencer, it's a, to borrow your terminology, I think influencers don't belong together. No, it's somebody. It's, some, there's got to be a bottom line somewhere. Yeah. On one end of the leash or the other. So, so the the audio note for the future is if if we ever wind up discussing it again, if not, I'll wind up doing a blog post someday about the idea that there are all of these tags that will suggest to me someone's orientation and obviously orientation is almost always only definable in terms of its context right in this group are you dominant or sub in that group are you whatever in charge or not but those things often run counter to each other and they not only confuse someone trying to classify you from the outside they make your life complicated on the inside um so You've been listening to Power in Practice. Join us for more episodes at www.powerinpractice.com.